going. We're gonna start a new cause we, um, a new way to greet ourselves or each other, not ourselves. I don't greet myself very much. Uh, cause we always do have, hi, how are you now? Um, and, and he said, fine, you and good, good and bye. And that like, like McMurray does. But now <laughs> I'm gonna do, uh, we're gonna, we, we need a new catchphrase cause we've been doing that for like half a year and how we're about, gonna do it again. How about, how about dynamite? <laughs> That's one of my favorite catch catchphrases. Dynamite's good. Um, I, I always, you know, my favorite catchphrase is from uh, Ricky Gervais's extras. Uh, are you, Don? Are you having a laugh? Are you having a laugh? That's that's my favorite one. Have you watched? Have you seen extras? Um, I think so. There, there's there. Isn't Patrick Stewart on? Is that the one I'm yes. thinking with Patrick Stewart? Yep. Where he writes, he writes, he writes a, a a skit with the, and then and then her clothes fall off. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Oh my god, that's, that's a great show. Yeah, I have. I've only seen a few episodes, so uh, yeah. I I feel like it's one that you, um, it's one that you would like. Maybe Kristen doesn't, because um, because he's uh, kind of a terrible uh, person. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. Andy Millman is his name. Okay. Um. So so uh. So here we are. You you and I. We it we seems have, like we only just talked very recently. We've talked recently. We've seen each other a lot. <laughs> Twice in in a week, in oh, two different. Wow, cities. you know that's right. We've saw each other twice, and we talked once in like in a week. This is amazing. Yeah, this I, is uh, yeah. Wow, I, I you know I I didn't realize I was getting such high quality Ben content over the last week. I mean, I I realized it, but I didn't. It didn't. It didn't hit me until just now, like how much Ben content I've had. There's so much Ben content. It is you're 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 chock full of Ben content. Um, I, I think I've seen you more than I've seen my wife in the last uh, in the last week. <laughs> uh, so um, so here so here we are. There's there's excitement going on as there always is in in the world of uh, food safety. But the most exciting thing I want to talk to you about is not that at all. It's uh, this is the the part of the podcast which is about Max. Um, I have a <laughs> wait I, about about the computer or about our friend. <laughs> But just about the computer, oh, okay. not Max. Max, okay. not Max. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I got a magic trackpad. Oh, uh-huh. For my, for my keyboard mm-hmm. because this is the this is the craziest thing. So I uh, maybe a couple episodes ago, I told you about how I, I have a new um, uh, iMac, not the not the iMac Pro or or the really expensive one, but a a decent one, and I needed to get a, a keyboard for it because my um, and, and and then I was hit like my keyboard wasn't working because I was hitting the function uh, button instead of delete. I figured that out. But what I didn't realize is after using a laptop exclusively for the last seven years, how much I missed a trackpad. And of course, Apple knows how to like take advantage of that. So I have a mouse as well. But now I have this magic trackpad that I love. It's like a big fat boy trackpad that sits in front of my my keyboard that makes me pretend that I have a laptop. And, and it's, it's, what's crazy is 10 years ago, I was so upset about trackpads. Like I just wanted to use a mouse and now I need to have a trackpad. It's been engineered into my desktop. You know, do you have, have you seen these things? Do you have a magic trackpad? I, so here, here's the thing I, I have not, I've been, I think about this from time to time, but I've never, I've never explained it to anybody. So let me explain to you what I have, my, yeah. my work, my work setup and my home setup. So, okay. um, at both my work and my home, I have the uh, the LG 5K um, monitor. 
Okay, so it's a it's a it's a nice it's a nice uh, it's a nice monitor, um, and 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 I have a, a Mac which is attached to it. Actually, I recently upgraded. I got the I have the new 16 inch, um, which I really like, um, and it's and I got it with more more RAM and stuff like that. But here's the weird part: at home, I have a Magic Trackpad placed to the left of the monitor because I'm left-handed. Yes. At work, I have a Magic Mouse placed to the left of the monitor because I'm left-handed. And I, I don't, it doesn't, I don't think about it, right? Huh, like it's, huh. it's totally, except it's like, like the centipede, right? You don't think about it unless you think about how you walk. It's like, well, how, how, how do I, how, it, how does that work? How do I have a mouse over here and a trackpad over there? And why don't I get confused? I just don't. That's fascinating. So, yeah. Oh, but now at, at home I stand up and at hmm. work I sit down. Um, right, right. which is, you know, or sometimes at, at work at home, rather I'm walking while I'm, while I'm computing, but yeah, I don't know. And I don't know why, I don't know why it doesn't bother me. I don't, I don't really, I don't, I, I don't know why I have chosen this particularly weird configuration. It's just, this is just sort of, I ended up this way and, and, and inertia. So no change. So yeah. Wow. Okay. So that, this is fascinating because, so what I've found is I have magic, I have two, I have magic mice all over the place. I got mm. one in my oh, bag and I, one. I at, yeah. Yeah. At, at work, at work, I have two. I have, yeah, yeah. I have one, um, because the, the trackpad, you can charge and still use it. The mouse, you have to put it upside down and stab it. Yep. Um, so you yep. can't use it. And so I have one that is rechargeable and then I have one that takes batteries. And so what I do is I use the rechargeable one until it needs a charge and then I charge it and I use the one with the batteries just long enough to get the charge one back to a charge and then I swip I swip I swip I switch them back so yeah 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 so so you got yeah but um but you don't have one at home that's what you're saying well it's I don't hold on hold on let me look <laughs> I don't I don't see it <laughs> I, I, what I what I do have what I do have Ben is I don't know can you can you see what I'm holding here in my hands can you uh, can you tell what these are from the sound that I'm making wait hold on um can, can you can you hear what these are? It's a a flint. Are you no. are you starting? Is it a fire? Are you starting no, a fire? It's it's three. Uh, it's three um, um, uh, AirPods. Oh, <laughs> I have I have three. three. I have three AirPods. Um, Wait, uh, no, two. Three, hang on for your third ear. <laughs> no, for my for my for my six other ears. Oh my gosh! So I I have I, I have so well so I have one that's wireless charging, uh -huh. and then I have two that are not, and I don't remember why. Yeah, I have two old school one and one new er, and then or wait no is it which one is it um. I don't remember. Anyway, I have, I have four pairs, Ben, because and and because I keep buying them. Um, oh, and I don't okay. remember. Yeah, so I have I have either. I don't. Which one has the light on the front? Is that the newest one or the um, the the second newest or the oldest? Anyway, is it a um, fat boy? Is it a, no, is it so, a short short so, little guy? So no, I have the, the I have the newest one in my pocket, right? Which okay, I which yeah. I use all the time. And then I have three older ones that are sitting here on my desk for no reason other than I've been too lazy to do something with them. Um, yeah, so. I, I don't. So I think maybe we talked about it. I can't remember if we did this on the you, podcast. You can't wear the new ones because of the yeah, socks. I don't like the ear. Yeah. I don't like how they like um, suction into your ear. Bothers me. Mm. Um, so, I like it actually, although it's they're harder to put in. What I found is that I can only put the uh, the the left one with my with my left hand and the right one in with my right hand. I can't put the right one in with my left hand because I can't get it twisted right. So anyway, that that's that's me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, so, I think we're all got up to date. Yeah, we, on what's so, on our well, desks. 
but what I find fascinating is that that you have. So I, I like now both having my keyboard or not my keyboard. I like my magic trackpad and my mouse like my mouse i'm doing certain things with like i may drag a window with the mouse but i'm using my my um magic uh my, my trackpad to scroll I just, okay anyway that's hmm. that's my thing and so now at home i've got both of them and at my at my office i've got both of them um so but anyway i love the the trackpad's cool i love it yeah, it's really nice. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very, <clears throat> I, I like it very much, but obviously I don't like it enough that I feel like I have to get one for work, which is, which is, which is weird. I definitely wanted a good monitor at work. Yeah. Um, now, do you have two, uh, yeah. do you have two monitors, displays yeah. as they're known? You always have two, right? Like I, in both well, monitors. no, no. I mean, I have, I have, I have uh, one at work and one at home. So that's two, but, and then cool. I always, I always run, I always run in, not in clamshell. Okay. Yeah. So I, that's what I do at home. But now I've got the I've got an iMac um, and I've got a Thunderbolt display, um, not the LG. And I I, I can't I, I I think a while ago I'm, I I sent you a picture. I was running three screens for a while, but now I have two big big screens and I can't put a third screen on my desk. Um, so, but, <laughs> well, but clearly I, you need a bigger desk. I need a bigger I need yeah bigger screens bigger desk. Uh, so so anyway, I got I got that. That was my new my new newest toy that I really really like. Um, mm. Is this this trackpad? And it's kind of it's kind of it's been a game changer. Um, well, I have to say the newest toy that I really like are these new. Uh, can you tell they, they they sound different? This is the newest the newest headphones, which I really I really do like. I'm I'm a medium. Um, and you know actually the thing that I like most about these new headphones, and I don't know if it's because I'm being more careful or they really are better, but the other headphones would get really dirty. Yeah. Um, and the new, the new ones don't, but I also realize that sometimes I keep them in my pocket with my keys and I stop doing that. Cause I think what happens is the keys, like little bits of metal come off the keys, um, and they get yeah. magnetized to the thing. So I always, I always try to put it in a non-metal pocket, um, mm. when I, when I carry it and it, and it's remained remarkably, uh, pristine looking, which I really like. Well, that's cool. Uh, yeah. I, and, and, I like I, and on the other hand, if anybody wants um, three nasty old uh, things with my earwax um, and a little bit of uh, key, uh, uh, key, key grit, um, I got three pairs. I'll, I'll, and they're all they're all charged, Ben. They're all holding a charge, which is very impressive. That that is. I, it sounds. It's weird. It's, I think if you're. I wouldn't give away my DNA like that uh, with your earwax. You've got, we've got, you know, I think most of our of our listeners are probably just pretty reasonable people, but I think that there's at least one person out there that's trying to make a little Don Schaffner doll and and needs a little bit of earwax for that voodoo doll, um, and and they've just jumped at it. So whoever whoever responds to you first. For this, I think maybe just send it to the second or third person who's not. not <laughs> well, I got, I got, I got three, so I'll send it to the second, third, and fourth people. Yeah, there you um, go. Oh, and by the way, I I think about this every time, um, I, and this is just one of these. This has sort of turned into a reconcilable differences, weird weird things that you do every single time that I shave. Um, I think about the movie Gattaca. <laughs> Oh, whoa. Hang on. Okay. Okay. Have, do you remember the movie Gattaca? Yeah. Ethan Hawke? Uh, yeah. Could be uh, Uma Thurman. I'm looking at yep, the yep. IMDb page right now. Yep, well, I love that. Like, I love that movie. Okay. So do you, do you remember there is a scene where like he is, again, we'll just read right from spoilers from IMDb, a genetically inferior man assumes the identity of a superior one in order to pursue his lifelong dream of space travel, right? Well, he, because he's genetically inferior, he can't leave any evidence that he's genetically inferior. And right, so after right. he shaves, he yeah. has to like clean up all the little bits of hair. 
Yes. Which which I do not because I'm genetically inferior, but because I'm I want to be like leave a clean bathroom. Um, uh, I I I always I always think about that movie. Um, at, when after I shave, <laughs> uh, that is that's phenomenal. Um, you know. The, the uh, bathing scene in, in Gattaca, not the shaving scene, made the top 10 um, greatest male grooming moments in movies on <laughs> complex.com, which is something that I had not even <laughs> thought about existing. I, uh, I'm going to do my best to forget that that exists, but it's yeah. good to know it's out there. Did, okay, so speaking of really, really cool futuristic movies, um, did you ever see the movie Existence? Uh, no. Existence. It is... Let me find, see if I can find it. Uh, from Wikipedia, it is a sci- 1999 science fiction horror film written by David Cronenberg. Um, and the plot of the film is a game designer named Allegra, played by Jennifer Jason Lee, uh, finds herself targeted by assassins by, while playing a virtual reality game of her own creation. Uh, it, and it's a, it, it was a, a big deal, like in Canadian filmmaking, it was an mm. independent movie. It, it's awesome. I don't know. I'm sure I, we can find it somewhere streaming. Uh, I, uh, every time I think about Gattaca, I think about this movie cause they had the similar, similar types of themes, hmm. but it's to go back and look at this, what was it? 1999, 20 years later, I'm sure it's pretty cool. Yeah. So I, um, <clears throat> I, yeah, I'm not a big fan. So absolutely neither of us are a big fan of horror movies and sort of, and we're both big fans of science fiction, a science fiction horror is kind of, it, it toes that line, right? Like, like right. Uh, alien is a classic. It's, I would watch it. I have watched, I think all of the aliens. I'm not sure I would seek out a 20 year old Cronenberg, um, science fiction horror film, <laughs> but, but I mean, but we'll, we'll put it in show notes. That's, yeah, Will, yeah. that's Willem Dafoe. I love Willem Dafoe. See, it's, it's a good one. And, uh, it, it is worth, it looks like it's on prime video. No, oh, look at that. I don't know if it's on prime instant or whatever. Who knows? It's, it's somewhere yeah, you can prime, get. Look it. at that prime video. We'll, we'll, uh, yeah, look at that. Hmm. Yeah. So check it out. It's good. It's a, I really like this movie. Oh, just do you know about? So this is something that I learned from one of the um, podcasts that you and I listened to. I can't remember which one, but Merlin uh, tipped me off to just watch, which is a, an app that I have on my phone. Where when someone says, "Hey, I should look at this," I it it basically aggregates where it is streaming for free. Um, so it, it is not. It is available on Prime Video for rental and for buying, but you can stream it on Hoopla, which I don't have. Uh, but I'm sure it's it's free, so I maybe I should get Hoopla. Um, but just watch it; super cool because it it is like it, multiple times when my kids were talking about something, I'll mm. just throw it into Just Watch, and then you it, you can sort of bookmark it, and it'll tell you when it actually shows up in streaming on on your platforms that you subscribe to. Cool. Yeah, it's a good. It's a really good good little service. So that and that's for uh, iOS. It is for iOS, and there's a hmm. website as well that that works on on all the uh, the OSs. Oh, but I use it on iOS. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm on the <clears throat> excuse me, I'm on the JustWatch.com page. Cool. Um, what? Uh, oh, okay. So you and I, I, there's stuff I wanted to talk about. You and I traveled. We saw each other um, twice in two different cities. Crazy. We were at a yeah, we were at a couple of different spots. Um, we were, we're in the sort of midst of coronavirus, but there's already 
we talked to, to Max about some corona, Max Duncan about some coronavirus. So if you're listening to this episode, go back and listen to the other one, which is in the Dubai Friday stream and our stream. But to, you know, maybe uh, we don't know. I mean, maybe. it's it, yeah, who knows? Right. Like, so here's this here's the situation as we as we as we record today, yesterday, which was Super Tuesday. Um, super sad Tuesday. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we recorded an episode with Max, which as of last night, Max was going to put in the Dubai Friday feed as of today. Um, sad Wednesday morning. Um, not out yet. Um, but this is episode that we are the episode we are recording today, I believe is 206. But Correct. you have not yet put out 205. So, you know, um, <laughs> what's right. That? So go, Mr. Uh, that, think about this all the time with the Mr. The, the call-in show, the pre-recorded call-in show. Um, have you ever seen that bit? Yes. 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 So yes. Anyway, I just, I, I, all, another thing I think about all the time. So, well, um, so, so anyway, we're not, we're probably not going to talk too much about coronavirus because we oh, I have, we, I have uh, one coronavirus question for you though. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so uh, you, you call it, call it, uh, you, you, uh, question asker in the front. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. And this is, this has been something that's been tweeted out by, um, uh, I don't know if I don't want to give him any attention, but let's just say he's a famous cartoonist who has gone all in on MAGA. Um, oh. and he had a tweet, um, about, uh, masks and, Masks don't work, so people should stop hoarding masks so doctors can have the masks that they need that don't work. And and I wanted I wanted to have you done any of a deep dive into masks and whether they do or don't work? Because I have been meaning to. And I just haven't got to it. No, I, I haven't. Um, it seems like masks are going to work like the, the the they they work for um for influenza and they work. So, so I think some masks work. I think that okay. the, 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 so this, here's the like not being an expert in masks, uh, answer. Um, I, I think they work. I think the issue of them not working is that apparently people don't use them correctly and then they stick their hands on their face and, and apply a lot of viruses. So like, like I think we're talking right. about a compliance issue, okay. which, yeah. But I think if you're, if your mask is on well, um, it is, protecting people on the outside from stuff that you have and protecting you from the stuff on the inside. Well, that, and that's what I've always heard is that in, in, in cultures where they wear masks, they wear masks when they feel sick because yeah. they want to stop germs from spreading from them. So, all so right. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, and what we'll do in an effort to, to put some, some good information out there, we will link to the CDC COVID-19 page uh, on frequently asked questions about personal protective equipment. So at least uh, we'll, we'll inject some science into the discussion. So. Right, and if anybody good. like anybody like uh, our, our buddy um, Mike Bazzacco or anybody else who has you know who has expertise ha wants to offer a perspective on masks, we would be happy to take it. Realizing, of course, we are horrendously behind on all sorts of listener feedback, and probably by the time we get to that, we'll be well past um, COVID nineteen uh, gate. Right, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> gate, yeah. Uh, so, okay, the only coronavirus thing I want to talk about is something mm -hmm. that came up after you and I recorded our episode with Max. Um, I got a I got a call from um, someone at the uh, at Wapo at the Washington mm, Post. Mm. Um, so I love uh, Wapo. Yeah, me too. I'm a I'm a subscriber. I'm not only am I, I like I like and subscribe. I like and subscribe. Um, so um, uh, her name is Kimberly. 
Kimberly something. Um, oh, Kimberly something from the WAPO. Yeah, Kimberly something from the WAPO. Okay, let me see if I can find her. Uh, Ugh, now, actual, now I had to look at a, a sad Tuesday headline. Uh, Kimberly Kindy. Kim, Kimberly Kindy. Kimberly Kindy, I think. So Kimberly called um, and wanted to talk about norovirus and why she she asked like a really a really good question. And and it made me think about other food safety things, um, and and it you know some of the things that, that you and I talked to Max about just the real like I think from a, a science standpoint just the basics of like the difference between a virus and a bacteria, and then the difference between viruses. So so her her main question was, okay, so all of the things that we're telling people to do for COVID nineteen are the same types of things or very similar to the things that we tell people to do to control norovirus. And so, right. So she's like, you know, are you with me? And I'm like, I'm with you. Yes. And and she said, but we don't do a good job controlling norovirus because we have, you know, 20 million plus cases a year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, correct. And so she said, so why why would we tell people to do something that that we can't control? Like, it seems like it should work, but we're not. It's not working for norovirus. If it worked, we wouldn't have norovirus anymore. Okay. So, so right. Like there's, so it's kind of a, um, I, I, that's the, that, that was the train of thought. That was the, 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 the questioning. And that's a really like, I think it's an important question to me because this is, it's, it's true. All of these things that we do focus on hand washing, um, fist bumping, um, cleaning surfaces and sanitizing surfaces, all those things, these are all best practices. These are all things that, um, if, if we were to implement it and had, uh, uh, really, really high compliance with this, with, with these, uh, recommendations, then the risk of transmission would go down. But the issue is people don't comply with it. Well, and, I, I, I've got a hot take when you're ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you go, go, you call her, call her with so, the hot take. Go ahead. So here, here's the thing, Ben, we tell people, um, to wash their hands and we know that they don't do a good job. Right. Right. So right. the question is, Ben, could you show, let's say, through some research with actual consumers in actual kitchens and actual data collection, could you show that actually it makes a difference even if they don't do it perfectly? Um, could you do that through some research publications? Turns out you could. <laughs> Turns out you could. Turns out you could show that um, even if they do just a little bit um, and and I'll, I'll steal some Do the your- best you can and try as much as you can, right? Yes. If you do as best you can and try as much as you can and if you do those things, Things, the more you do, the, the better you get your technique and the better you try, the more you try, the better you do. Yep. yep. Right. And, well, and, and which this is such is- a, which is such a great message. I'm just um, anyway, we're we're talking about a paper that hasn't been submitted for publication yet, but will be soon. That's just going to it's just made me so happy to read it. So I'm, oh. just, I'm, I'm just so delighted you guys involved me and I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of it. Awesome. Well, and yeah, we'll uh, this is a, a study that um, Meg Kirchner, um, graduate student of mine and Leanne Jacobs led looking at um, a whole bunch of data on hand washing and cross and and the resulting cross contamination that happened from hands in in our kitchens. And it's yeah, it's a really, really fascinating um, look at at a, at a pretty large data set. But but exactly what you what you said, doing something matters, doing that something more often also matters. Like those are the two those are the two things. 
Um, and when it comes to, to hand washing that we, that we took away. Right. And but, don't, and don't worry about like not doing it perfectly. Right. Like yeah. cause we know, yeah, if you can do it better, do it better. But if you half ass it, well, just try to half ass it more often and, and you'll pretty soon you'll be a, a you know, a whole ass. <laughs> you'll be right. You'll, you'll make up a, a much more portion of, of all your asses lined up together. Uh, <laughs> I, what, what was really interesting about talking with Kimberly was she, she, you know, she, she kind of, she kind of got that, but she was like, but why would we tell people this if we know that it hasn't worked for these other things? And so we started, I mean, I talked about similar things that, that we've been talking about. It's like, well, you know, this is new. The, 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 um, uh, public perception around this might really, and I, I would say based on sanitizer sales and, and what's happening, like just the you know cancellation of meetings and stuff, the people are taking notice and it's leading to some behavior change because it's new. It, 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 norovirus has been around for a long time. Um, influenza, which is the other one that I, I like to compare this to the other virus that I compare it to a lot and talking about it, it's been around for a long time and, and people haven't individually haven't died. Um, although we do see, you know, 34,000 deaths a year from influenza, but, but the, the majority of people in, in the U S haven't died. And so they're like, well, here, I don't really change what I do. I don't get sick. It's not a big deal. So I, I'm not going to, um, really invest in the, in these, uh, in these practices. That's, I think part of a, a mindset, but the, the, having that conversation and, and sort of trying to break it down into the virus is different. It's not the same as norovirus. The mode of infection is not different. The mode of transmission is not different. Um, yes, we still have lots of norovirus, wait, but wait, it doesn't. The mean, mode of transmission is different. Yes, is different. Oh, okay. Did I say is? You yes. said isn't, right. So, yeah, oh, so, yeah. yeah, fecal oral versus respiratory. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, um, is different. Uh, so the virus, so we can compare it, but there are a lot of differences between, between the two. And just because we haven't eradicated norovirus doesn't mean that we shouldn't, you know, tell people to wash their hands, not wash their hands. Right. Like, like right. The, it's a compliance, it's a compliance issue. And the more that we do it, the better, the better it is. Uh, and it's not just hand washing, it's cleaning and sanitizing and all, you know, all the other, all the other factors, but it was like, it, it was one of the more challenging conversations, not in, in a, in a really good way Yeah. from, from, from a journalist who's like, I, just, I don't get it. Like yeah. why? I don't get it. Tell me, give me, tell, can you restate that for me? Yeah. And, and, and I love, I love that. I mean, this works so well in academia too, but I love when journalists are afraid to, are not afraid to say, Hey, look, I've been thinking about this and I'm not an expert, but I do, I am somebody who thinks about this and communicates for a living. And this just doesn't make sense to me. Right. Yes. Can you, and then, and then th- those are often such good questions because they make us think. Right. And, and it's, it's, it's why you, it's why it's great to be around graduate students that are sometimes naive and, and are, you know, are not afraid to ask like questions like that, because it really makes you think like stuff that you just take for granted. And again, it helps us, I think, be better communicators. Right. Because if we don't, if we're, we're so into it, we haven't, we've just sort of dove deep beneath the surface and, and the, and the, the, this thing that nor that, it, that impacts when normal people come to this idea that they can't get through it, like for us to break out of our, our little bubble and say, oh yeah, you know, that, that actually is a really good question. And, and I see why you're confused. Let me help to explain that. Yeah. And, and, and this was kind of the, I, I think the fun part of what, not fun, but the, the, um, exciting part about what's happened this week is 
um, you and I have been following this story for uh, for a couple of weeks, a month or so. I've been trying to keep up with it. I've, I've nominally looked at um, COVID-19 as a non-food safety issue. And, and this is, here's the insight. It's not a food safety issue until it becomes a food safety issue. And as mm. soon as someone asks, why isn't this a food safety issue? Now we're in, right? Like, like up right. until this point, it, it has been like, well, I don't, I'm not, I'm not waging into this conversation because it's not in, it's, it's different from what we do. But, but the, um, you and I answered some questions from Max yesterday. Um, we answered some questions from, um, uh, a couple other places yep. I can't remember. Um, who, who was Huffington Post? Maybe um, the Today Show sent me a message last night that was about um, really like it was, I'll I'll read you this because it's kind of a um, a funny like a, I guess a funny kind of setup. It, it was um, tell me about foods that I could hoard. <laughs> right, right, right. And um, and, and so here here's the. Hello, I'm an editor for Today Digital, and we're currently writing a story about shelf-stable pantry items to have on hand in case of an emergency. Right, nothing about coronavirus at all. I wanted to reach out to get your thoughts on what types of foods people should be looking for when stocking up. Love to get your general advice or specific product recommendations if you had them. And so I, you know, being the cagey uh, consumer of news that I that I am, I was like. My response is, assuming this is related to coronavirus concerns, uh -huh. correct? Yeah. Um, and, and so then, but there were some other things that I wanted to throw in about, about things that you and I had talked about yesterday. So I, I said, I can see the benefit of preparing for disruption of food supplies due to workforce shortages leading to issues in production, processing, and transport. Like, I think there's some co contextual things, right? Like, if people want to get two weeks worth of food, I think there's two reasons. One, some of your favorite foods might not be at stores. Who knows? Secondly, if you get sick, you're, you're going to want to, we're going to want you, the world is going to want you to be isolated. So have some stuff on hand. So here's some things that you can get, you know, sh shelf stable things. If you're worried about fridge space, freeze, use freezers here, you know, whatever. But it, it's, it, it really is. Uh, this has been a unique conversation over the last few days because it wasn't, it, it, I mean, I can't think of a better way to say it other than it, this isn't a food safety issue until it was, until people started asking why it's not. Um, right. And, and now we're part of the conversation that we right. weren't part of. And, you know, and it's good, it's a good opportunity to do some good, like food safety, food quality communications. And we answered this question, I think when we talked with Max and answered it for previously from a reporter is like, well, so, you know, if you are going to hoard food, what are the best practices? Right. And so, you know, don't buy food that you're not going to use, use first, first in, first out. Yeah. Buy things that are shelf stable, like rice, like beans, like canned foods, um, or, or foods that are frozen, right? Don't go out and buy a whole lot of fresh food because it's going to all decompose before you can before you can use it. Right. So it's, and yeah, and I think, I think actually Max had a really good take where he's like, yeah, I just went to the store and I bought like twice as much. I bought all the usual foods that I eat, but I just bought like twice as much. It's like, yeah, that's, that's a really good, that's a really good practice. And I hadn't thought about the angle of, um, I'm going to buy food so that if I get sick, um, I don't have to go shopping and I won't run out of food. Like that's, that's, again, that's just very, a very sort of sensible approach. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. Um, so when food safety sometimes crosses over into my other world of hockey, which is really the only other thing that I know about. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, this one's very good. 
This is good. So, so I, I'm on. Uh, so I, I'm a, uh, I'm, a, I'm an official registered coach of USA Hockey. So, so that means uh, once a year, I have to, I, 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 I do uh, uh, ongoing training, continuing education. Some of it's online. Um, at my, my current level of coaching is level three, and so um, I can go. I, I, you know, once a year, there's an in-person training. Anyway, as and I'm also a USA Hockey. Um, I guess it's an association, a member, because the league that I play in and the league that I coach, the leagues that I coach in require you to be part of this organization. It's a really good organization. Um, it's a really good organization. Yeah, you're, 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 to- you're not just a coach. You're also a member. I'm also a member. <laughs> uh, it's a really good organization when it comes to um, to, to hockey things. I think it's an interesting uh, organization when it comes to coronavirus or COVID-19 as it's listed on their on their website. So I got an email yesterday from USA Hockey um, and. And, and this is uh, so hockey's you know for for those listeners who are not familiar, <laughs> hockey is a game played on game. ice with skates and a puck and a and little black egg. Yeah, <laughs> well, and th- there is a um, it, as in as in I think lots of sports there is there is contact uh, like people are close together. Um, people are probably breathing on each other because you're, you're in close proximity. You're sitting on a bench together, um, during, um, uh, during line changes, like after you've, you've played. So, so for, for instance, my, my kids hockey team has, uh, 17 kids on it, two goalies, 15 skaters. So, um, there's only five people on the ice every, every time plus a goalie. So there's, you know, usually, um, uh, you know, so there's 11 kids that are sitting on this bench. They are, um, uh, breathing heavily because they've just spent a minute or a minute and a half skating around. So their heart rates up. There's a lot of respir- respiratory, um, uh, um, action there, there are water bottles. Um, a, a common practice is in, in a lot of cases would be to have common water bottles that are used. Now these aren't water bottles that kids put their mouths on, that they pick up and they squirt water into their, into their mouths. Um, and, and so it, 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 historically, um, there have been norovirus outbreaks associated with team sports. Um, we've definitely seen influenza. Meningitis uh, was a concern um, when when I was a kid because uh, um, there was a kid that um, in my hometown who uh, uh, played hockey who uh, got infected uh, from you know uh, uh, meningococcal um, uh, pneumonia, mm-hmm. uh, and so there's you know vaccines for the kids that he was close with, and, uh, and you know afterwards. So there's the, you know, this isn't it's not a surprising thing, but the messages that USA Hockey sent out are kind of interesting. So I sent you this yesterday, and I want to highlight a couple of things. There's some good things. <laughs> well, it's my it's it's let's see how many bullet points. Uh, f- uh, four, eight, nine. There's nine bullet points. Eight of them are really good. <laughs> yes. Eight of them are really good. Um, so practice frequent and meticulous hand washing with soap and water or alcohol-based hand rub. Good. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, or mouth with unwashed hands. Good. Cover your nose and mouth with coughing and or sneezing with a tissue or, or flexed elbow. Like it. Avoid close contact with anyone with cold or flu-like symptoms. Okay. Quarantine anyone who's sick, players, coaches, parents, and roommates. And this is one where Michael Bazzacco will go crazy because it is probably not the correct use of the word quarantine. I think we mean isolate. But I think you mean evacuate. (laughs) Evacuate. Yes. Um, Now, here's one interesting one, Don. Ensure (laughs) thoroughly cook your meat and eggs. (laughs) Okay. Only, okay. okay, so yeah, so so 
So there's a lot to unpack there. Um, ensure safe food sources is, is good advice. Generally, that's for things that you can't cook. Um, and then thoroughly cook meat and eggs. Um, okay. But I guess um, you, you don't have to cook fish. Um, you know, it's it's very weird. It's poultry, very weird. Are, is meat and poultry? Meat and poultry and eggs, yeah. I. Um, yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird way. And it's so, it just doesn't go with the rest of them. No, like the not at one. all. <clears throat> Yeah. And here's here is a real like a real management step. Um, so after every game, one, you know, one of the things that is embedded in the culture of hockey is a is a handshake line. And this handshake line in the pro levels doesn't happen um, after games. Uh, but in in amateur in kids hockey in uh, every um, I played a hockey game on Monday night. And um, after uh, after we beat the uh, senior blades uh, seven, seven to one or seven to two um, in which a game which I scored a goal. Nice. Um, yeah, it was good. It was a good game. Thank you. Uh, uh, after we won, uh, and, and we everybody gets in line and you you shake hands and you and you say good game. Good game yeah, there's there's uh, people on the other team that um, you might have had uh, a a um, a contentious game with, but, but the handshake line that it all goes away. Like people don't fight in the handshake line. It's, it's kind of this recognition of, all right, we, we may have just played a, a very competitive game. We may have said some things to each other. Maybe someone hit me in the leg with their stick. Maybe I push them, whatever. But at the end of the game, we all have to go to work the next day. So let's just like, let's leave it on, let's leave it on the ice. And so handshake line. So, so USA hockey has a message here. Handshake lines after games should include fist bumps with gloves on. And that's, that is a, a, a different practice. And that's like that. I like that. Um, use individual water bottles. Don't share them. I talked about that at all, uh, as well. And then towels should not be shared in any way, which is kind of a funny one. You highlighted this in the message. Um, <laughs> they, how, let, how, how are people sharing towels commonly? Funny, funny. You should ask. Um, there it, it's not every week, but there's probably uh, eight times a year where someone gets to, you know, get, gets after the game, goes in, uh, gets undressed, gets ready to go for a shower and realizes that they didn't bring a towel. So now all of a sudden they got someone else's towel. Or what I prefer to do is I, I, we, we have home and away jerseys mm -hmm. for our teams. And I will often, if I forget a towel, I will wrap myself in my Jersey and try and dry off with a, uh, with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, but it's, it's funny like that. If you weren't, if you weren't in the system, you wouldn't know that there are towels that get shared. So don't do it. Like this right, is it, right. like those messages are all good. Um, ensure safe food sources thoroughly cooked meat, <laughs> eggs. It, 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 one of these messages doesn't belong with the others. Mm. So, so I've got I've got some hockey follow up questions for you. Okay. <clears throat> uh, what what is wheel snipe Sally? <laughs> oh, oh, wheel snipe Sally. All right. So, so wheel is, it, <laughs> thanks for the question, Doc. Um, wheel is a slang term for skating fast. Um, and, and it's, it's done, uh, traditionally, uh, where I learned about wheels growing up and it's a defensive in the, in your defensive zone. If a defenseman has a puck, um, in the corner behind the net wheel means to move the puck or skate uh, to an open part of the ice as fast as you can um, to get out of trouble so you can make a better pass and break it out of the zone. Um, wheel now really means just someone who is who, who is skating fast and and gets out of you know gets out of out of trouble, gets into a position to make a good pass or or take a shot. Snipe is short for sniper. 
Um, and sniper is another hockey slang term uh, that comes from uh, scoring goals. So so if you if you score a lot of goals, you're you're known as a sniper. Um, and I guess that that goes back to some, uh, you know, shooting thing mm-hmm. uh, with guns where you are a, a good you have a good shot and, and you're very accurate with it and you score a lot of goals. And Selly is a shortened uh, version of the word celebrate. And a Selly is something that that is really just arisen in the last 15 years. We did not talk about Sellies at all when I was growing up, but it's your post goal celebration. Um, and, and these things, sellies can be very elaborate. Um, my kids <laughs> both plan exactly if they're going to score a goal, what they're going to do. Um, and neither of my kids score a lot of goals. So, <laughs> so there's a lot of preparation. There's a lot of preparation for, for that one, that one time. And so, so there, there are some famous, like, um, you know, NHL hockey players that, that do the same celebration every time after a goal. Um, and so, so they, they try to model those, those, those players. Um, I'm a fan. I do not, um, you know, as you get older, you, you, you don't really, uh, have a full celly, um, uh, as, or celebration, but if I am really trying to, um, to show somebody up, which every once in a while I do try to do, I'm a fan of, um, skating, um, and then uh, crouching down on one knee, almost in the lunge position, and putting my one glove with my stick in my hand, putting my one glove down to the ice like I'm scooping up snow and throwing it up in the air. And that would be my that that's my signature uh, signature Sally, which is not uh, it's someone something that other people do um, also in the NHL, but it's my I think it's the coolest one. So, so, yeah, so, we, so to, to recap, to recap, wheel snipe Selly means skate, shoot and celebrate. Uh, but it's also a slang for uh, sex. So uh, yes. according to Reddit. Um, yes. So so I really I really didn't think you'd take that long to answer. But so this so <laughs> but that's OK. Um, next question. And this is the last question. Who is Shorzy Letterkenny? <clears throat> Who is Shorzy Letterkenny? Well, Shorzy Letterkenny is is um, is Don probably the best chirper. Uh, <laughs> The best chirper uh, north of Highway 7, mm. uh, which is a, which would be a, a, a very Ontario um, answer. Uh, so uh, Shorzy's this guy who is probably the funniest uh, character on Letterkenny who will talk uh, incessantly and is a, a chirper. You haven't asked about that. Uh, this is a, a term <laughs> that, that I mastered um, – uh, growing up, I, as, as maybe the listeners know, I do like to talk. I like to talk very, really, I talk almost nonstop in a hockey game, especially in a really like tight hockey game. If I don't like the other team, I'm constantly just in someone's ear about something, um, and things that I don't even want to repeat here, um, that, that would just be, that are bad. Um, but there's a lot of, there, there's a lot of curse words. Um, I, it, it's a, it's a level of cockiness. Uh, that, that you want to you kind of want to show up your your opponent sometimes, um, and so I I, I really um, I, I do a lot of a, a lot of uh, a lot of chirping. And Shorzy, this character from Letterkenny, does a lot of chirping uh, at Riley and Jonesy. Right. I, I, and, do have, I, I do and, have I do have and and just just to, to close the loop. So so Shorzy is voiced by Jared Kiso, who also is the character who plays Wayne, who's sort of the main the main character in Letterkenny. And and interestingly, Shorzy is is either in a stall um, uh, pooping or he's taking a shower upside down. 
with his with his face away from the camera, or he's on the ice and he's wearing a helmet. So we never we never actually see what Shorzy looks like, um, but he sounds just like Wayne, but with a higher pitched voice. <laughs> yeah, and and so two two other Shorzy characters. So he sh- sounds like Wayne with a higher pitched voice, who also sounds like one of my close friends here, who is from Honey Harbor in Ontario. Um, uh, and, uh, his name, his name's Sean Taylor. Um, and Sean sounds just like Shorzy, but does not watch Letterkenny. So every time he says something, um, there's, there's always a response of Shorzy for the people that do watch this show. Um, and, uh, there's a lot of F you Shorzy's in uh, Letterkenny. Mm. Um, uh, but the, uh, so I want to, uh, before we close the loop on chirping, um, <laughs> I, I, I had a, uh, a, a situation where this came back to, to bite me in my non-hockey life where, um, a couple of years ago we were having a, a garage sale or a yard sale at my house. Um, and our, our neighbors, uh, walked around the corner, um, uh, to come and we didn't know these neighbors. Um, but then I recognized the, uh, the, the man, the male neighbor, um, and I couldn't really place where, where it was. And it was someone who I had, um, chirped multiple times in, in a hospital <laughs> for various things about how slow he was, about how I play defense and how I was going to take the puck off him every time. If he failed to score, I, I would just really just um, chirp at him that I that I, he could just take those shots all day and I might as well go sit on the bench because he's never going to s- score. Like I'm just incessantly in this in this guy's ear. And so the the best part is that he recognizes me, says, oh, you play on you play on Chick-fil-A. And I was like, yeah, I do. And Danny's there and he turns to Danny, and goes, you know, your husband's kind of an asshole. <laughs> And, and so then, then Danny, um, says, Oh, oh, okay. And of course I turn red and, and I try to sell him some old toys that we're trying to get rid of. Um, and that, that leads to at least a a 35 minute conversation with Danny afterwards about what I might've done, uh, to, to garner that, uh, that response. So I chirping. Just chirping at him, just you know, just, you know, we can contentious playoff game. You're right. You're a, you're a different person on the ice. I really am. I really am. Uh, uh, it's, I, and it, I, I can understand that. It's been a long time. Well, it's been a really long time since I played hockey, but I was never like that. But but it's been a slightly less long time since I was uh, I, I was a fencer. And I yeah, I would I would. Yeah, it's, there's sort of you take the filter away and you can you can scream and shout and yell. And yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, it, and I find that that's part of uh, there, there's something about it that will um, raise my um my intensity yeah. to, to perform. Yeah. If I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, for sure. I, I really know that it's a game that I'm into if I'm talking yeah. and if I'm not talking at all, either we're losing and, and we're not in it or we're beating someone so bad that I I've, I've lost interest. But if it's a close game, I'm, I'm talking all the time. Um, and yeah, it's part of, it's part of the fun. I, yeah, I, I've, I, I've got a, you, I like to play with a little bit of personality. <laughs> so uh, anyway, that's that's been uh, hockey safety talk. Uh, cook your cook your meat and poultry, uh, and uh, get you know you don't want uh, COVID nineteen. Uh, get uh, food from safe sources, and uh, no sharing towels, guys. No share towels. Don't yeah in any way. Don't share them in any way. Ah, uh, <laughs> oh, damn. Um, so. So should we should we jump in? I know we've we've kind of like had a lot of um, we, we we were kind of behind in some feedback, right? So we should probably jump into some listener feedback. Sure, let's do it. Place to go. 
So I say that I'm not prepared to do that. I, uh, so uh, <laughs> let me well, get to the. Yeah. Okay. So I, th I think, Ben, I think, you know, it would be a really good idea after we've uh, closed the loop on chirping and talked about towels. I would think I think right now at this point in the show, like right now at this very point in the show, it would be a good idea to perhaps um, do some listener feedback. That is, if you are ready to talk about listener feedback right now, Ben. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. That's, Don, it's funny you, you should mention listener feedback. Uh, we have some. Uh, in fact, uh, we have we have a, a, a uh, listener feedback item from uh, a, a friend of the show. Um, and uh, in, in this case, I think we will um, refer to him as uh, Deep Deep Flock. Um, and so uh, this one goes back to early January. Hey, guys, happy new year. I hope you got some downtime recharge over the holidays. And we did. Uh, the discussion from the podcast at the end of 2019 about salmonella outbreak in turkeys really piqued my interest. Um, as someone who is recent, who has once watched a documentary on the subject, I consider myself a subject matter expert. Uh, <laughs> He's watched a documentary, so it's a subject matter yes. expert? Okay. He did have an emoji in there with that. Okay. You guys discussed the Netflix series Rotten in the past, and at the time I've been watching it too. There was an episode called Big Bird, and one of my takeaways from watching that episode is the level of absolute control that these big poultry companies have over their supply chain. They apparently supply the chicks to the ranches, which I'm sure helps them maximize output and efficiency and, and minimize genetic variations. So although I'd like to imagine the family farmer raising their own flocks over many generations, I would bet in this case, there's a good chance that the salmonella came from the hatchery that supplied all these ranches. What do you think? Um, the, uh, so that's question number one. Second question is the benefits and drawbacks, of the lack of genetic variations within a flock would be a whole other discussion. There's a joke in there somewhere about herding turkeys, like herding cats. Um, so deep flock, um, you know, listen, listen to the show. Here's, uh, here's our chance to, to give you our hot take on, uh, on, on, uh, on, um, I guess vertically integrated, um, supply chains in poultry. Yeah. So, so often, often when I get these listener feedback items, uh, I will think about an answer and then because I'm an extension and I like to help people, I give it, I give the answer. Uh, this one, I was moving kind of quick and all I said was I've added your comments to the folder for discussion on an upcoming episode. So, um, I, I haven't given this too much thought, but I guess the, the short answer is I think he's probably right, right? Like I think that there is, there is a, uh, some awareness of the idea that, that hatcheries may ultimately be a source. And this is part of what these big operations try to do is figure out where the contamination is coming from. Is it coming from feed? Is it coming? Because it's getting reintroduced somehow, right? The birds don't come in necessarily with salmonella unless they're contaminated at the hatchery. Um, and then, yeah, and absolutely this, I mean, the, the, having this, this vertical integration is, is really good in a lot of ways. And, and yeah, and the, and the, um, you know, the, the, the the difference between a family farmer versus a vertically integrated operation is yeah it's, it's it's really it's really interesting so then obviously there's yeah lack of genetic variation is is a big issue um, I know that with um, with Campylobacter there was a funded project on Campylobacter and they looked specifically at, I believe Campylobacter at, at at chicken production in Iceland I want to say because yeah, yeah. because of the, the 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 it's a more of a controlled system and then use that with a risk assessment type approach. To, to look at to look at uh, Campylobacter risk in in chicken again looking at the the Iceland system particularly so so I don't have any <clears throat> it's it's a, it's a good open ended question that I don't have a lot of perspective on other than those those few comments yeah so and the only thing that I'm going to add is 
Um, one of the things that I have thought about in these outbreaks where you've got some sort of common source, like a very close genetic, you know, whether it whole gene sequence, the same sequence, or very, very close um, sequence uh, in lots of different geographical areas, there's there's clearly some sort of um, uh, common source, and hatcheries would be would be one. The other thing I think about is feed. And um, I, I don't know, in these outbreaks, I haven't really seen in any of the outbreak investigation responses where we, we've really been able to parse either of those, those two things out. And I don't know if we, we will be able to, other than going back to the feed manufacturers and seeing if we can find um, uh, the salmonella with, with the same strain in that, in that input. But that those two things in this vertically integrated um, situation can really, you know, lead to to problems where you've got this one source that you're just going through and generating a lot of um, exp pathogen exposure in the system uh, could lead to these to these outbreaks. Um, and and the the feed ones you know d takes us down to a little different path because you and I have been part of the food safety preventive controls alliance. Um, that alliance has not just a human food uh, component but also an animal food and animal feed component. Um, and and that industry um, I, I think has really. Uh, because of FISMA has really had to take a lot of strides. Overall, I think the, the large feed manufacturers were doing a lot of food safety. Um, they were doing a lot of analytics on the on the feed from, you know, based on my, my brief experience of touring around a few here in North Carolina and talking with folks on on that FSPCA. Uh, but, but FISMA has really driven some of the smaller feed mills and producers to to implement steps uh, around risk reduction, and that's a that that's a really good thing um, when it comes to exposure in that in that supply chain. So so yeah, I mean I think you know coming back to, to Deep Flock's question, I think here we have a situation where um, e e vertical in integration gives you a, a, a place where you can do you have a lot of controls but also when a problem slips through your your exposure in the population is is really really high yeah and and I, I was correct about the that uh, Iceland thing so uh, there's a, a bunch of papers uh, that uh, Norm Stern from USDA was involved with as well as some some folks in Iceland and Ruff Lohman who's in, it's the name of a person I haven't thought about in a while so we'll link to one of them it's the it's the mo most recent of the series and it, it came out in 26 uh, sorry 2006 and I remember being there <clears throat> at IAFP where the conversation around uh, putting this project together got started and it was excited excited to see it go uh, to, through to completion and uh, um, yeah and that's a boy that was more than 10 years ago so I'm old <laughs> good 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 all right well I'm going to jump around here um, a little bit and uh, do a little bit of follow up on episode 200 which was probably our most poorly recorded uh, episode ever uh, the uh, title of 200 is room audio uh, <laughs> Um, and so uh, we talked in in that um, in that episode a little bit about um, something that we'd seen in the news about Chipotle and nurses. And so this comes from a listener um, who we're going to um, uh, we're going to call a deep nurse. Um, uh, hello, friends. I powered through episode 200, which was an epic achievement. Um, and I think <laughs> yes, really congratulations. Any, congrats anyone, anyone that made it through episode 200, uh, you, you are a super fan. 
Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, not for, just for the content, but for the audio. Uh, thank you again for making my commutes more fun and productive. I was able to touch base with the, quote, nurses that handle the calls for Chipotle. The goals are, quote, identifying possible foodborne illness at its earliest stage and keeping employees who might have a foodborne illness or other communicable disease out for appropriate time period. We are not involved with benefits, paid sick time, or other employment policies at all with two exceptions, fake doctor's notes and when an employee violates the illness policy and tells one of our nurses they worked while sick. Um, and the um, the individual says, we use a similar approach because this person does not work for Chipotle. Um, it helps our operators return employees to work when appropriate. Using a third-party nurse helps us manage inconsistencies. The same group also helps us in our efforts to vaccinate against hep A in high-risk areas. Um, and so I you know, I just appreciate Deep Nurse for the follow-up because our conversation really, we, we touched on this. There weren't a lot of objectives that were shared in the news stories, um, and it was really just something that was uh, said by the uh, Chipotle CEO, and so this uh, this gives us a little more um, a, a little more context. And I think since then you've you've also uh, we talked about this in a previous episode that we didn't talk about this feedback, but you went and visited Chipotle and um, and our. Uh, are, I think you just personally are very happy with the things that they've uh, put in place from a, a food safety standpoint uh, since all the issues that they encountered a few years ago. Yeah, and I'm just I'm just Googling for something to link to here. There's a bunch of different articles. Uh, if you Google Chipotle nurses, uh, a bunch of different articles that, that talk about this. If there's one that you think is particularly good that you want me to link to, we will. But yeah, let me just talk a little bit about, about that. So uh, when when I visited, I signed a non-disclosure, um, but I, I can think I can, you know, reveal stuff that that's not like, you know, like super secret stuff. And, and they did, uh, what I can say is they had a really good program and they did say that the nurses are third party. Right. And so the, basically the bottom line is there's no, <clears throat> These nurses are paid for doing their job as nurses. They're, they don't have any skin in the game as to which way they make a decision or what they do. And so they're, they're essentially a third-party entity that's there just to, to manage this. And, and again, I think it's, it's you know, you would expect that with any kind of policy like this, um, there's going to be problems, right? Um, there are going to be people that abuse the system. And I think, I think Chipotle employees have been on record as saying that they know that there is some abuse of the system, uh, but they feel it's the right thing to do to to manage norovirus risk, which I think is quite uh, is, is quite commendable. Um, and then, you know, the other thing to realize is that these um, um, uh, these these issues that arise um, may and this was also really impressed me. And maybe we've talked about this before on the podcast as well. If you if you have a store that typically has a higher than expected level of call outs where the nurses are being engaged, like Yes, that's a food safety problem, but you know what? That might also be a human resources problem. And right, so right. One, one of the other things that was so impressive about Chipotle is they came to the realization that just because something looks like a food safety problem doesn't mean that it's going to be solved by food safety people, right? Like that you might need to get HR involved because maybe there there's problems with how they're with like the the vetting process that they're using for hiring employees. Maybe there's other larger issues that's actually impacting the situation that has nothing to, that, that has a food safety impact, but it's not going to be solved by more food safety, right? It's going to be solved by better hiring practices or, or maybe the, the, you know, better management practices, right? There's some, there's some piece that's coming together that's causing the problem, um, which is ending up with a food safety problem, but it, but it's not going to be solved, like I said before, with, with more food safety resources. Yeah, 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 you know, absolutely. And, and I think that, um, you know, th this, 
touches on something else that I'd put into the um, into our conversation or into our Dropbox. Um, you and I were both at uh, GFSI last week, the Global Food Safety Initiative thing. I think it's called the Consumer Goods Forum. Forum, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and so, so I um, I spoke at a uh, on a panel um, for Testo. Uh, one of our colleagues, Eric Moore, um, is is a food safety person at that company. They do a lot of work with thermometers. Um, but what, so so we we ran this this project. One of my former students, Savannah Everhart, uh, did a lot of work with our dining services here on campus on looking at uh, temperatures and. Um, basically get, uh, trying to figure out how to move a an operator from a paper-based management system to an electronic system and what the benefits are and what the drawbacks are. And, and so she did a lot of like food safety culture, behavioral research and interview people about it. And then we got all this, this temperature data. But what was really cool about that, like for me, that panel was, yeah, I talked about our project, but then I got to sit with um, Larry Cole from... Um, uh, from uh, uh, Ahol Delhaye's, the the big grocery store um, company. I uh, think you're thinking of retail business services. Yeah, <laughs> retail business services. That which is the yeah. worst name for a company ever. Right, which is a company that is kind of like a spinoff of the anyway. So he, he runs food safety for for Ahol and Delhaye's and like Hannaford's and Food Line here in the U.S. and then uh, you know stuff in Europe. Um, and then also um, another person who I had not met before, um, Ashmeet Kwar, and she works for Off the Grid, which is a really interesting model that was funded by Google of like uh, commissaries and 500 food trucks that'll show up at events and they go throughout the Bay Area. Anyway, th- the the conversation, the panel that we had was really about how technology impacts people and workforce and that that we're talking about food safety things. And it's really along the exact same line as what, what, what you were talking about with, with Chipotle, where some of these solutions to make food safer, it's not just more microbiology and more food safety. It's you've got to think about it in, in workforce um, acceptance and um, energy and um, just the amount of time that labor is going into monitoring things that don't matter. And um, you know, the, all the stuff that we do is wrapped up in a lot of other complex systems. And so, so you can't just like, it, I, the way that you said it, I, I really agree. It's not just more food safety. It's it's food safety, and then who are the other partners within your system that you have to figure out how to work with and bring them along, or that they may have information or approaches that are going to help you with food safety. Um, it really is like a, a a big systems organization, and not like not to call. I, I'm, I'm not going to call anybody out on this, but I've I've talked to to friends who work in. Um, food service and retail settings who talk about the struggle of that, right? Like that, that they're, they're try, they realize that they need to work with other departments or other individuals, but those individuals um, might, might want to own their thing and, and food safety is not always a priority. And so marketing is one that, um, that, that comes up a lot. And we talked a little bit about that as it relates to, um, uh, uh messages and on labels, uh, when we were in another meeting. Um, but, but also I, you know, one of the people that, that I do quite a bit of work with, um, we, we were doing some, uh, food safety culture management, um, training, 
And we had to be really careful to not call it training like I just did because the training people would get upset. Even though the training people don't do anything in food safety, they do training on how to do the things that they do in the, um, in the, in the restaurant. They, but they don't have any food safety expertise. It was like, it was so such a weird paradigm to, um, that that this person was struggling try to move things along in the area of training because they couldn't call it training because someone else owned that. Whoa. Yeah. So so it, it's it, like it's important to think about it in the, in the uh, complex system. And I think when it works, it it works. But if there are people that own those islands and they don't want you to be part of it, it makes the food safety job a lot harder. Wow. Yeah. Right. Right. Isn't it like, isn't that crazy? Yeah, that, that shouldn't be, but <clears throat> I understand like this is a, yeah, this is a thing. We have to think about that. Like going, I don't get too involved in this, but cause I don't <clears throat> teach at the graduate level. We have to be careful about what we call certain graduate level courses um, because it, it could be infringing on somebody else's territory. And in fact, we had to think about this when we, when we na- renamed our, our college, a school. So we're the school of environmental and biological sciences. And we, but the original choice was the school of environmental and life sciences, but that apparently was t- t- treading too close to somebody else's turf. So of course, right. Yeah. And so instead so of being to own that, yeah. So instead of being cells, which is, sounds really cool, we're SEBs, which sounds like some sort of disease. <laughs> oh, well, we are cows, which is also kind of cool because um, it's like uh, it's like cells, but with an A, the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences. Uh, all right. So move, moving on. Um, the, so there's one here that I, I don't know if you've had a whole lot of um, conversation about this, but this is really interesting. This comes from Deep uh, Caparina. Cap, Cap, do I say that right? It's the it's the Brazilian uh, alcohol drink. Yes, Cap, Caparina, I think. Caparina. Uh, so Deep Caparina give it, gave us um, some information a couple of weeks ago, well, I guess a, a, a couple of months ago now, about um, something happened in Brazil. And it's kind of an interesting one. So I want to um, uh, go through the, the story. So here, there's something happening in my neighborhood, um, in the neighborhood my children live in in Brazil. Uh, five men have had similar conditions develop, droopy face, loss of impaired vision, vomiting, abdominal pain. Um, uh, insufficienza renal and uh, deep caprina says I don't know what that means, but I, I think their poopers are on the fritz. No, I think uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's uh, kidneys, right? Renal insufficiency. I think that's a that's an actual thing. But yeah, I, I think poopers on the fritz. I think your poopers are on the fritz. Um, it started about a week ago. Still no word on the diagnosis. A rumor started early on about a specific beer from a brewery in the same neighborhood. Coincidentally, the police are, are there right now. There's another rumor that they detected ethylene glycol. I've never tasted myself, but they say it's sweet. Uh, I know that brewery really well. If it is the case, I can hardly imagine how it could have happened. I can only believe that there's an equipment failure, some, uh, how a hole developed in the copper or stainless steel pipe, or the wall of the fermenter and the lining of the fermenter itself. So if it happened at the end of the fermentation cycle, I would guess uh, that it could be passed to a consumer at a low level. Um, would ethylene glycol in- inhibit uh, uh, fermentation? Um, anyway, there's all sorts of rumors. Uh, and then we had a, a follow-up, surprise development. Uh, said brewery has stated that they don't use glycol for refrigeration. It's either ethanol water mix or water ammonia that they didn't specify, which means there's no reason for the presence of glycol at the facility. Also, falsifying beer here is relatively common, but the two resellers, big supermarkets, both dry- buy directly from the brewery. So I'm really scratching my head now. Update. 
Um, another <laughs> surprise, uh, the brewery does use ethylene glycol. They'd say that they don't use diethylene glycol. All their purchase order corroborate this as well, just monoethylene glycol. After much speculation and offered advice from the novice Facebook crowd, including blaming the two enormous veil mining dams that have burst here in the last two or three years, the president of the country and his conservative views, um, uh, and Ambev Budweiser Sabotage, the government entity charged with investigating has decided to go ahead and test some things at the brewery that have determined um, there were dye and mono in the production water and in other tanks as well. The investigation is going relatively slowly, but at least there are concrete items being exposed. One can count on trying to solve the problem. Um, still scratching my head. If it was in the water system, in theory, those two lines run parallel. The only ferment, uh, uh, only fermenting wort and cooler. It. Um, I haven't been there for several years, um, and you, but you never know creative ways that breweries uh, used to cost time and labor. In theory, it shouldn't be equipment failure. But here's the thing: we're looking at two deaths and 18 hospitalizations. So, um, you know, I, I know you're you're. I will look to you for your insights on this. But um, you know, this was. Uh, it's always good to hear these. Uh, it's terrible to hear these stories, but it's good to hear um, these stories as as learning examples. Um, and and we don't follow the the Brazilian press, and so this is something that we had seen. So really appreciate Deep Caprinha uh, for letting us uh, know about it. Um, but what are your what are your thoughts about this, Don? Well, so so I think <clears throat> did, did you have the the, the latest update. So this no. was a whole series of emails and this one's in there as well. Um, oh, there's so yeah. yeah um, uh, 41 lots have been confirmed contaminated by the police, 10 different labels within those 14 lots, diethylene glycol and or monoethylene glycol found. They purchased the mono, but apparently dye is cheaper. So the supplier was cutting the mono with dye to make more dollars. They've traced things back to the brewing liquor coming out of their freshwater tank, four dead, 28 showing the same symptoms. We will link to the original article, which is in uh, Portuguese, um, which unless you read Portuguese, um, you, you're, you're going to not get too much value out of it. And that was, that was an article from September, 2020. I did Google the name of the brewery and I found an article on inside.beer, um, which comes from January uh, 23rd, 2020, uh, which has the headline Brazil colon four people die after consuming contaminated beer. So this is, yeah, so this is, this is, this is, you know, this is some, some bad news. Obviously, I think the, the, you know, the, this is, you, you shouldn't use uh, diethylglycerol. Um, the, the article from inside.beer talks about how uh, DEG was used to sweeten Australian wines. Uh, and uh, sweetening a beer is not very common. And so like the, the reporter is speculating that that's, less likely that's what the, the problem is that it's that it's some sort of cross-contamination cross-contact issue but uh this is this is bad news uh i mean this is yeah this is just this is just this is really bad and, and yeah i don't know what else to say yeah yeah no it's i i agree and it's it's one of these um as as i read through this and think about the situation it shows you know similar to the conversation about the uh, about turkey and salmonella when you have um a commodity type product or not a commodity but a, a large consumed product like beer there's a lot of exposure things like milk um beverages when you have a little bit of a problem how big it can become um with uh in a from a public health standpoint so um you know the people in people in the food supply, um, it, it makes me think of something that I've heard when it comes to like small farms and large farms where, um, 
uh, during the discussion about FISMA implementation, there were folks in the um, small farm community that were like, yeah, well, we know that the food safety is important, but really what we should be focusing on are the really large producers of food because if they if something goes wrong there, they're going to make a lot of people sick. If if a small producer makes someone some someone something goes wrong there, maybe it's just a couple of people, um, and it's not not the best way to manage your food safety system. But it but it is, there is some um, level of fact in that on uh, just the scope and and magnitude of uh, of consumption um, and and how how it can become you know a real a real widespread problem with with some a, a product that people that a lot of people consume. Yeah, yeah, bad. And again, and thanks to thanks to the listener for for giving us that blow by blow update. That, and I guess that this just sort sort of rewards us, Ben, for not dealing with listener feedback, uh, because now we could just give the whole the whole s- story in one one go. Yeah, yeah, yep. All right, I'm gonna move. I'm jumping forward. I'm going to the ones that I really want to talk about. Go for it. So, um, so uh, this one comes from Deep Oil, um, and uh, question is. Uh, my question is possibly on the fringe of your area of expertise. <laughs> They've never stopped um, us before. Exactly. That's, we'll talk, don't share towels uh, of, of any kind. Um, but are you aware of any studies evaluating the effectiveness of certain essential oils as disinfectants? There's a lot of namespace pollution on the topic. Most Google <laughs> hits are blog articles and EO company websites. Uh, but there are some good mentions of antimicrobial properties in newspaper articles and more respected online sources. Obviously, dipping yourself in peppermint oil may <laughs> yield different results than a few drops of lemongrass diluted in a spray bottle. But I'm looking for harder evidence than gossip at the local co-op. Um, could essential oils be part of an effective germ fighting strategy or should we be sticking with bleach and quat like our parents? Um, so what do you, what do you think, Don? Yeah. So this is, this is a good question. And this is actually less outside our area of expertise than, than you might think. Um, there, there is not only namespace pollution on Google, but, but in fact, if you go to scholar.google.com, which is where I go, if I'm trying to find something scientific and avoid the namespace pollution, you get overloaded with a ton of information on, on Google Scholar as well. So the, the these compounds have been highly studied like over and over and over again in food systems. Um, at one point, I was going to actually collaborate with a Brazilian colleague who was interested in in them from a mechanistic point of view um, to do a meta-analysis. Um, and it just he ended up not being able to, to, to come uh, take time away from, from work to come visit New Jersey to, to, do, the, to do the work. But so I'm, I'm still interested in doing it, but it, ha- but it, it, it hasn't happened and it probably it looks like it probably won't happen. Um, uh, the, these, you know, the, people are just using these essential oils for everything. The, the problem with using them in food is that to get the efficacy you need to actually control microorganism growth, and it's more control rather than kill, although there is some kill to get the levels that you need, uh, you have to add them in such levels in the food that um, it, it results in objectionable uh, flavors, right? And so you can, yes, you can, you, there's been tons and tons of work on rosemary. You can use rosemary uh, to preserve foods, but then the food really, really tastes like rosemary, which, you know, again, depending on the food, um, uh, uh, you know, you wouldn't want, and even if, even in some foods, you just, you, it's just, it's just an overwhelming flavor. So, um, and of course the, the other thing to sort out here is the idea that something, if something is natural, it's safe. Um, that's not true. Um, arsenic is completely natural and also, um, not good for you. So, so just because something is natural doesn't mean that it's safe. Um, 
so I guess the so the the the, the short answer is could essential oils be fart be part <laughs> could they be fart they could be fart I guess uh, um, uh, could essential oils be part of an effective germ fighting strategy sure are there more effective and lower cost chemicals absolutely right so I mean the the thing about chlorine is it's cheap and it works um, uh, and of course there's 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 people have concerns about chlorine uh, there it's not allowed um, in certain applications in the EU because of the concern about uh, uh, formation of cancer causing um, derivative products. Um, but, uh, again, it does, it does work. If the, if it was so easy to just use natural essential oils, well, I mean, they also might be expensive, right? So that's, that's another, another thing as well. Like, like chlorine is relatively inexpensive, essential oils, depending on how you get them and how you have to extract them, they could be, they could be quite expensive. So to pay more for something that doesn't work as well, um, you know, <laughs> seems, seems silly. Well, you yeah. know, it, well, it depends, right? If, the, if it's a trade off, right? Like, like, you know, we're thinking about sustainability. I mean, sustainability is really important right now, right? And so, so thinking about things that maybe cost more, but that are more sustainable, you might want to make some of those trade-offs some of the time. But you have to be, you know, I would say do it judiciously. And this would be one example where, you know, you have to do it judiciously. Yeah. And, and I think that there, there's two things here, right? There's one is, could we use essential oils as sanitizers on surfaces? Um, and and then one, you know, where you talked about, and I'm going to give another example of this. Um, what about essential oils or, or the compounds from um, from these essential oils in food and as a as an antimicrobial? And, and I think that you, you hit on it. It sounds great. But there are practical issues related to it. I'll I'll highlight a an, um, a barf blog uh, post that I that I made six years ago. Um, <laughs> it's a about, good one. One of my is, favorites. It's one of my favorites too. So there's there was quite a bit of conversation. Um, this was during the the Norocore yeah. project um, about you know someone had published uh, an article in Journal of Applied Mi- uh, Microbiology entitled "Antiviral Efficacy and Mechanisms of Action of Oregano Essential Oil and Its Primary Component." Um, uh, Carvacrol against murine norovirus, and and so we, that where this article kind of went was a whole bunch of popular press articles about oh or oregano great where do we eat a lot of re- oregano I guess on pizza so pizza equals no norovirus like I mean literally that was the the train of of conversation and so so I took a, a little bit of a, a shot at it and and you know went through the paper and, and sort of talked about the limitations and the big ones that I that I found um, on here was well it's really great against murine norovirus but is that the same as human norovirus and it's and it's not um, and and it's maybe not a great um, surrogate for human norovirus. So if, if you're worried about the, the one that, um, you know, the, the, the murine one, um, then maybe it's, it's good, but also all of a sudden you've got to throw a bunch of oregano oil, um, onto, onto food and you're looking at a, a component, you know, here's the, here's how, how it worked. Um, uh, oregano oil and, uh, carva- uh, uh uh, Carvacrol both significantly reduce murine nor- norovirus tit- uh, titers within 15 minutes of exposure. Despite this, the infectivity of, um, of MNV traded with oregano remains stable over time. So it went down and I had to leave it for 15 minutes uh, and I got a one log reduction. So the title is great. There is efficacy, the practical side of things. Would I want a whole bunch of oregano essential oil on my, on my pizza? No, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, I think it would taste too oregano-y. Two, I'm not eating a lot of pizza right now. We've already talked about my, um, my, my avoidance of carbs. Uh, and, and that's it. There's no third point. <laughs> 
So yeah, I, anyway, I, it's, you know, it's a good question. The, and you know, one th thing that would be would be fun to do would be to say, okay, so what's a normal pizza recipe look like? And then what would the pizza recipe look like to generate the concentrations from this paper, right? And I suspect it would be a really, really oregano-y pizza. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And and uh, and I don't want I don't want a lot of oregano in my in my like I want a little bit of oregano. I don't need a, I don't want a lot of it. And and here's the thing: I'm not that worried about norovirus that I want to ruin my pizza. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, I, I, better better choice. Um, don't have don't have people with norovirus around my pizza. Yeah, yeah, exactly. that's a that's a much better solution. Let's do that instead. No, let's not <laughs> let's not try and fix it in post. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Exactly, prevention, prevention, prevention. rather than uh, control. Yeah, right. Um, okay, so uh, next question comes from um, Deep Bags, uh, and. Um, uh, so deep bags actually has two questions, one about refilling soap dispensers, one about reusable grocery bags. So from a previous episode, refilling soap defense dispensers by pouring rather than replacing a bag of soap. Why is the prior such a bad idea compared to the latter? Does this also apply to refilling the small liquid soap pump dispensers I have at home? Some of which are, were painted by a local, local artisan. Um, should we be replacing with a new small soap dispenser from the store each time one is empty? Does it depend on how they're used or cleaned? Should we just say the heck with it and go back to use the product soap? So those are the first questions. And then the second one is reusable grocery bags. I know we should be washing them way more often than I do. Our store and soon to be our state has instituted a plastic bag ban. Our newspaper, the post standard had an article on Sunday, January 26th newspaper entitled don't let bags turn into germ factories with a subtitle of it's important to disinfect um, the reusable after each use. It states at least one cloth or canvas bag uh, or get at least one and use that exclusively for things like raw meat. You can just throw the bag in the washing machine. Most instructions for washing those kinds of bags call for washing them in cold water. Do you need hot water to kill the kind of bacteria that would come uh, from raw meat? Take a chance and throw the cloth bag in hot wash or uh, or just dedicate the regular coated reusable grocery bag and hand wash that with hot water. Um, so lots of questions there. Um, and, uh, yeah, from, from deep bags. Uh, so do you want to, you want to start with the soap dispenser? Yeah. So, uh, so the first question was, um, uh, refilling soap dispensers by pouring rather than replacing the bag of soap. Why is the prior such a bad idea? And my answer to that is very short. It says, see my attached paper. And so, uh, we will link to in the show notes, we will link to an article entitled influence of soap characteristics and food service facility type on the degree of bacterial contamination of open refillable bulk soaps. And this is a paper that I did uh, in collaborate. My graduate student, uh, Dane Jensen, and I did in collaboration with um, uh, Jim Arbogast at Gojo and Dave Shoemaker, who at the time was at Gojo, and uh, Chuck Gerba from the University of uh, Arizona of, uh, of uh, many, uh, many, uh, uh, what's it, what's his, uh, Dr. Germ, I think he goes by. Yeah. So, um, and basically. Deep, deep Gerba. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, we, um, and what we, we went out and we, 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 we surveyed, um, I think 300, uh, 296, we tried for 300, 296 bulk soap, uh, samples from Arizona, New Jersey, and Ohio. We looked for basically total plate count as well as a bunch of different organisms. Um, one of the interesting things about this research is that when these when these things go bad, when these soap dispensers go bad, the preservative systems 
in the soap fail. And the, you get, if, if you get back to, so well, let's read from the paper here or from the abstract. Um, oh, let's see. Um, more than 85% of the soaps tested contained no detectable microorganisms. Hey, that's good, right? But in those 15% where they did have detectable organisms, it was most likely a really high level, 10 million organisms per ml of soap, right? And so what that says is that there are obviously a significant number of these dispensers where people are refilling them, they get colonized, they get a, a biofilm, and maybe people in an effort to save money are diluting the soap. When you dilute the soap, you dilute, dilute the preservative in the soap. And these, these soaps, if they are sufficiently diluted, guess what? Will allow the growth of microorganisms. Um, we did not find any human, uh, we did not find any foodborne pathogens. Uh, we did find a number of organisms that I wouldn't want to put on my skin. Um, and, and some of them were antibiotic resistant. Um, so, so this is, and we have, we have never seen, a foodborne disease outbreak linked to soap dispensers. We have seen hospital outbreaks linked to soap dispensers that are colonized. So I think these are a bad thing. Um, they're they're not currently uh, banned in the food code, um, but there has been have been some efforts to modify the food code, uh, but but they those efforts to, to date have been unsuccessful. So I think these are a really a really bad idea. And again, for more for you know if you want more detail, uh, read the paper. If you if you need a copy, let me email me and I'd be happy to, to send it to you. Um, now, the, the follow-up question is, does this also apply to refilling the small liquid soap dispensers I have at home, some of which were painted by a local artisan? Well, um, that's, you know, that's nice. And I understand why you want to reuse them. Um, should we be replacing with a new small soap dispenser from the store each time one is empty? Um, does it depend, depend on how they're used or cleaned? Um, we didn't study home soap dispensers. Um, I think cleaning them is a good idea. Uh, I think that probably the best simple practice is just make sure that you always use full strength refills. Don't, don't try to save money on soap at home by diluting them. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and realize that we didn't, we didn't study them. I mean, there's, there's certainly room for more study. It would be interesting to, to kind of study, um, properly formulated soaps where you inoculate, maybe take some of the organisms we isolated and inoculate properly formatted, uh, formulated soaps to see if you get growth. There's, there was some evidence. We don't know whether people were diluting the soap in the dispensers we tested, but we did measure total solids content and some other indicators of dilution that would be that would be diluted, and, and we found often that um, in the soaps that had high counts, there was evidence that maybe somebody was was actually diluting them. So I would say you know best practice for home use is don't dilute your soap. Um, a, a better practice would be to r not reuse them. But again, at the same time, you have some that were painted by a local artisan. You want to use them, you know. Yeah. So I would say wash them. You know, we wash them out, and if you see evidence of a biofilm, you should definitely uh, definitely get rid of them. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. Oh, should we say the heck with it and go back to using bar soap? Personally, I like, I like bar soap, uh, rather than soap dispensers. We have both in our house and I will preferentially, uh, choose the bar soap over the soap dispenser just because I, I like the soap better. I like the feel, feel of it on my hands better. So, so that's my perspective on soaps. Did you want to, I've got some thoughts on grocery bags, but did you want to talk about grocery bags or, or soap? Yeah, so I just sent you an email with the with an awesome subject line that says should probably publish this paper. <laughs> so, 
So here, th this is one of those like insights into the world of of me and and academia, maybe in general. The, we've talked a little bit about this, but you know, I think all of us have not more than a handful of papers. The data has been collected, things have actually been written. There's results, and the last step of a couple of hours to put something out hasn't happened. And this is one that literally is from 2013, reusable bags paper, cross contamination risks in reusable grocery shopping bags and potential risk to patrons. A model applied to leafy greens, E. coli, 0157H7. So essentially I had a, a, a student, um, Alice, so this is so old that her name has changed. Um, her, her name, she used to be Allison Smathers. She's now Allison Sane. Um, Allison. Aladdin uh, Sane? What was her name? <laughs> Allison Sane. Yeah. Uh, and so Allison did this awesome work. I was really interested in these bags. Um, I had a colleague who never, no longer works at NC State, Trevor Fister. We did this work to look at if you put um, 0157H7 into bags and what, like sort of modeled what was shop, what shopping was like, could we recover things from it? We used uh, 0157. And so here's – let me read from the data. Um, I, and I, I, of course I can't figure out – quickly how much we put in. Um, let's say we inoculated leafy greens um, with uh, 10 to the 6, I think it was, um, a, a 157, and then put it in the bags, simulated shopping, um, and saw, and this was lettuce, this was like whole lettuce, like this was not, um, not packaged lettuce, and tried to recover it from, from the bags. And we were able to recover... 0157 from the bags at like three logs in two hours and then uh, two logs in in a in a day and then one log um, in um, in uh, by five days later. So so the, the like the, the question of can reusable bags and, and again, this has not been published and stupidly should be in some sort of a research note somewhere. Um, the, the, the question from from this work can I transfer a pathogen from food into a reusable bag? Yes. Will it survive in that bag if I don't do something about it? Yes. Can I transfer it back to other food? Maybe. That's not the work that we did. Um, but it could stay in there. So what do I do with my bags um, at home? I, I do um, – I, I do have a, a specific bag that I use for meat and the uh, for meat and poultry packages because I am insanely concerned about um, the meat and poultry packages and leakage. I actually will take a plastic bag um, and and we don't have a bag ban, but I if I did have a bag ban, I would purchase the five cent bag for the meat uh, and wrap it in that, and then I put it into a specific meat bag that I use, um, and then I. Uh, um, I wash that and I wash our bags probably once a week, maybe it's once every two weeks, but most importantly, I try to dry them, um, and make sure that any liquid that's, that's removed. So I turn them inside out after every use. Uh, and then they remain in my car. Um, you know, so, and, and I, you know, we, I've talked about on the podcast about, I'm a, I'm a grocery shopping kind of guy. I like to go, uh, I'll go, um, uh, I'll go every weekend for sure. I'll probably go three times a week. I, it, it is part of my, um, uh, I, it's, it's a nice place for me to go listen to a podcast and figure out what I'm going to cook. And, and I, I enjoy the experience. Um, and I'm often using, like I'm using reusable bags all the, all the time. So, I mean, that's my, I, I don't know how much I've answered the question. 
Um, is it something like that's that's how I approach it, and and it just makes me feel guilty that I should have published this stuff. Yeah, and and so I think you said you sent that to me via via email. I don't see it yet, so um, well, maybe I haven't. Maybe you didn't. Send you yet. didn't hit send, but it's not that important. So else. while while you're doing that, so I also gave an answer to uh, to to deep deep bags <laughs> or deep soap or whatever whatever we're calling the listener. Um, so I would say uh, washing in cold water is better than no wash. Washing in hot water is better than cold wash. Um, if you, um, if you're hand washing, you might not be able to get it hot enough to matter. I don't understand why that's in there. Um, I, you know, so let me, let me uh, translate that. Okay. Washing it by hand. Oh, yeah, oh, hand washing. Yes, get, sorry. Yes, 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 yes sorry. sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Ben, for you're explaining welcome. my own email to me. Yes. If you <laughs> if you are washing the bags by hand, um, you might not be able to get the water hot enough to matter because it'll be too hot for your hands. Um, uh, regular washing is good. Uh, so I would say regular washing in hot water in a machine. Um, and then if the bags start to fall apart, uh, you can throw them away. Um, we have right now, I would say probably about 20 to 25 bags at least split between our two cars um, because we just get more bags and we just keep using them. I, I am not, I am not really in charge of the shopping and I am not really in charge of the washing of things in the house. And so I don't know what our practice is. I suspect we don't do, um, too much, uh, too much washing. Uh, but what if we do buy, uh, meat and poultry, uh, we usually buy it from Wegmans and we overwrap because it'll come in, it'll come in its own package. And then Wegmans nicely provides uh, hand sanitizer and uh, an extra overwrap bag, uh, that you can use. So we will, uh, we will do that. So, yeah, so, but good, good, you know, I mean, these, it's important, I think, to use reusable bags, um, but it's also important to, to manage them appropriately. And it sounds like you probably do a better job uh, than we do uh, here at our house. Well, and, and maybe, I mean, this is one that, okay, so the stuff that's out there that, on reusable bags, um, Deep Gerba did some stuff um, on it a few years ago that got me interested in it. And then we did this little thing and never published it. And then there's been a couple of like, uh, microbial surveys that either media groups have done or, or have been done as part of like the plastic bag lobby world, right? So, so the the real thing, and this is the, this is what I've learned from working with you, Don, and doing this, is having bacteria in bags is not is not unexpected. Is there a risk? I don't think we've really answered that question anywhere. And in a in a in a systematic way, but our public health outcomes would show there probably isn't a risk. Or and let me go back and say that because I haven't clearly haven't enough coffee. The risk is very 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 low. It's not zero risk, but it's not something that we would worry about at all. That I think we should worry about. Right. So right. So yes. even my regimen is is just uh, is just overkill. Like yeah, maybe I, I'm not even doing anything. Yeah, I would agree. You know what I think you should do, Ben? I think you should take this this just exactly as written and you should just submit it to Food Protection Trends today. Just do, <laughs> Well, take, take, take out where it says acknowledgments question mark and just just submit it to food, <laughs> FPT today. I think they'll I think they'll reject it and say that there's you should take the highlight out. It's not well, too far away. It, that, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, it's, I'm it's, looking at it in 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 the pop-up uh from um uh, uh, from, from messages, which is how you sent yeah. it to me. And, uh, I don't see any highlights. So, <laughs> Oh, good, good. good. Okay. Well, maybe I'll just send it. Yeah, then, I mean, you I'll could, you could seriously, you could get this off your desk in an hour or two. You, you right, could, see, you could have got this part. off your desk in the time it took us for us to do this podcast. You're exactly right. It, <laughs> and every day I beat myself up for these things and I should just do them. Um, all right. So a couple of quick hitters here. Uh, we, 
this is my favorite. Uh, deep teacher here. Uh, is the coronavirus related to food safety? Question mark. Thanks. I'm going to read your uh, your answer verbatim, and then we'll <laughs> highlight it in a second. Um, hey, deep teacher. Thanks for listening. The short answer is probably not. Great. So, um, but obviously we've expanded on that. And so for Deep Teacher, go check out the episode that we talked about earlier where we recorded with Max Temkin talking about coronavirus um, and food safety crossovers. And then we'll probably, by the time we get this up, have some show notes related to some of the stuff that we have seen uh, in the news where we got quoted. Um, and so that's one off the list. Uh, there's here's a good one too, and I've I've skipped over a couple because, um, like I said, I, sometimes we sometimes they get too far down in the stack, and we 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 just gotta we just gotta pop them out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm using that wrong again. Um, so this is from deep. This is from deep vomit. Um, recently, my my daughter's stool. My daughter's stool. No, no, your your daughter's school. I read that. <laughs> Recently, my daughter's school clarified their policies around student illnesses. Much of it was unsurprising. And again, this is in in the context of uh, of coronavirus, COVID nineteen, um, s- uh, such as students demonstrating cold or flu symptoms and running a fever should stay home. Students must be fever free for twenty four hours before returning to school. But one passage struck me as unusual. Quote: It is also the school's policy that children who have vomited must leave school. The twenty four hour rule applies to vomiting, as this may be a symptom of the flu and or a foodborne illness which can be which also can be contagious this raises the questions are some foodborne illnesses contagious if so which ones and how transmissible are they um and then a nice little note thanks for the informative show that continues to surprise me with its entertainment value in fact we surprise ourselves with our own entertainment value <laughs> as well so the vomit asks about um vomiting in 24 hours yeah. So, so the, the, the answer is absolutely yes. There are some foodborne illnesses that are contagious. It never even occurred to me that this might be a question that somebody might have. So th- huge, huge shout out to, to the listener um, for asking the question. Um, basically, any food poisoning that's caused by an infectious agent is most definitely contagious. So salmonella, shigella, norovirus, pathogenic E. coli, all uh, contagious. In fact, shigella specifically is known for having uh, what they call a high secondary attack rate. So the attack rate is the rate of people who are exposed that become ill. And this is dependent on a, a bunch of different things, including um, the dose in the, in the, in the food and the, the state of the immune state of the person, et cetera, et cetera. But the secondary attack rate is the attack rate of people in the household of the person that originally got sick. So like I said, Shigella, perhaps because of its dose response function, has a high secondary attack rate. Um, my guess, and I, I think you'll probably agree, is that this specific policy is referencing norovirus. And we know definitively uh, that norovirus can be spread uh, by both vomit and diarrhea. There's a really cool paper out there that basically looked at a public vomiting event in a restaurant and then looked at the location of the tables in the restaurant and the fan placement and the rooms in the restaurant and then the calculated attack rates for people that were in that restaurant. And the closer you were to ground zero for the vomiting event, the higher the probability that you got sick. Um, I suspect that foodborne illness from uh, toxin formers like Staphylococcus um, as well as high, relatively high-dose pathogens like Clostridium perfringens and Bacillus cereus would be low uh, just because, you know, even if you're generating large levels of the organism, it's unlikely that the, those levels will, will cause illness unless you get like a direct hit versus Salmonella, Shigella, Norovirus, pathogenic E. coli, where you could become ill even from, from a small dose. So that's my, that's my, my take on that. 
Yep. And, and I'll, the only thing I'll add and give it a little more of a retail food service slant, it's actually explicit in the food code about certain illnesses, um, salmonella, shigella, E. coli 157H7, norovirus, hepatitis A, um, uh, that that if someone has these illnesses, that they are excluded from working. So it's so they so they they're, they're required to have an employee health policy about this, but also explicitly says things like 48 hours, um, not just 24 hours. Um, and and there is some some really nice um, work that showed. Um, a post-symptom uh, recovery in norovirus, still shedding viruses and really high amounts and poop, vomit, you know, obviously is the the vomiting is is the uh, more classic transmission route because of the like potential for the aerosolization of those uh, virus particles and and just the projectile side of things. So it can be on uh, you know on clothes and work uniforms and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean um, to to deep vomit, it, it's something that that 24, you know, not just for schools, but it's something that we, we in fact have, um, regulations against or rules, I guess, uh, 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 for in, uh, food service settings, uh, to manage the, these risks. But yeah, it's a, it's good. I, I think often it's almost like what we were talking about with coronavirus. Often you and I, and, and people like us that are close to this world, we, we, we skim over things that there's a level of understanding about, yeah, the, you, know, uh, you know, obviously these things can be um, transmitted through, through vomit um, in, in our minds, but, but it's, it, I, th I think it's important that we, um, that we address and say, oh yeah, not everybody's you know, got this same kind of baseline understanding. And that's like, not only is that, that great, like, okay, it's an opportunity for us to, uh, to talk about it. Um, yeah, and we, and we so, will, so I'm having trouble finding the restaurant uh, outbreak that I'm thinking of, probably because it's older and it's been covered by more recent references. But we will definitely link to aerosolization of a human norovirus surrogate, bacteriophage MS2, during simulated vomiting from the lab of our good friend and colleague, Dr. Leanne Jacobs, uh, where they used uh, vomiting Larry, um, a, a doll that or a, a face that was uh, was 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 vomited, uh, was 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 well, officially vomiting, right? So vomiting Larry was oh. someone else, and oh. the, uh, um, but this was the vomit machine. Vomit machine, uh, excuse me. Did not have a didn't have a name. It has a very creepy face. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Vomiting Larry has. If we'll link to this on YouTube, vomiting Larry looks like a hose that comes out of a mouth, <laughs> um, and it is does not really model what a vomit looks like. It's it's a pretty good like spew, um, though. Um, but uh, yeah, what what um, uh, you know was was created as as part of the Noracore pro uh, project was a, was the the vomit machine, which is in storage, and we want to we need to bring it back out. Um. So what else? I kind of skipped over some stuff. I don't know if you want to go back on any of those. Uh, your call. Um, not really. Hey, have you watched The Poison Squad yet? No. Yeah, it's in our, it's in my homework. I put it in OmniFocus that for last week. I should watch it and talk about it on the podcast, and I just haven't. It's still there, and I won't forget about it because it's in OmniFocus, but it's there um, hanging over my head. I couldn't download it on the um, on the PBS app, or I would have watched it on, um, on flights this last week, but, uh, but it, apparently it's really, really good. Someone, someone emailed us about it and we talked and we've talked about it. Um, what else, what else we got here? 
Workflow family. Oh yeah. Um, someone did give us some feedback on risky or not. If you, if you don't know about risky or not, you didn't last listen to the last couple of episodes where we've talked about it, but it's our other podcast, same guys, um, same general topic, but we really, really promise to answer questions in not a 45 minute rant. We, we will limit ourselves to 10 minutes. We will tell you whether we think this food, this practice, this item is risky or not. And you'll get the definitive answer from us. Our definitive answer, not the definitive answer. So we we covered on one of the early episodes of Risky or Not um, a, 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 um, a ravioli that was past its expiration date. Um, and so we got a follow-up from Deep Ravioli who said that uh, Rana Ravioli freezes very well. So it's too late uh, for Risky or Not, but our family practice is to put Rana products in the freezer immediately. They can go directly from the freezer to the pot and still cook out quicker than a dried uh, pasta. So, so that's good. Freeze your, freeze your fresh pa- pasta. Thanks to deep, deep ravioli. Yep. Uh, I think that might be a show. Okay. What, <laughs> what do you think? I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. Yeah, that's I'm fine. Good. We, I'm, we talked about a lot of stuff. Yeah, we did. We talked about a lot of stuff. Um, we don't have to go like till we're exhausted. No, we don't. We, l- l- oh no. Let me tell you about a stupid show. Two mm. things that happen on flights. So this is uh, something I had to put in there. Um, the circle, it's the thing, it's this thing. <laughs> That is, uh, we'll link to the Wikipedia page. It's a, there's a U.S. version of this. It's, there's a British TV, but it's on Netflix on, uh, and, and basically the, the, the premise of the show is people show up in this house and they try to become social media influencers and it's like a reality game show. And I watched an entire episode of it because some podcasts that we listen to, the people talk about it and how it's like a guilty pleasure. And I thought it was terrible and I can't watch it. So I, it oh. was, it was, yeah, I didn't really like it at all. Did you, have you tried this thing? No. Circle. No, that, I, 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 I love our friends at Dubai Friday. Um, but I, there's many things that they watch that I just, I just, I just can't. I mean, and then, you know, first of all, because my wife would prohibit it, but also I, even on my own, I couldn't, I couldn't watch it. So, but that's fine. I mean, you know, it's just, it's not for me, right? I'm I not, not going to yuck on somebody else's yum. It's not for me. I, this is the part it's, it, it really is. It disappoints me. It should, I want it to be for me. You're I want like in I, yourself. I'm disappointed in myself. I wanted it to be for me. It's not for me. Uh, oh, oh, so yeah, hey, speaking, speaking of things that we, we, um, uh, learn about from other, uh, podcasts, like our favorite, uh, podcast, Dubai Friday. Um, uh, have you, so I, I bought, I made an impulse purchase, um, on the strip in Las Vegas as I was listening to Dubai Friday. Cause Max was talking about, um, this book called roughage. Yes. Yes. Do you have this book? No, but, uh, but it sounded good. And it was his favorite cookbook of, um, 2019. I remember. Yeah. So it is, uh, and it's a, um, uh, the, uh, a best cookbook for spring 2019 by the New York times and Bon Appetit. And, uh, I made an impulse purchase and, uh, it showed up on Tuesday and I said to my wife, I bought you, I bought you a cookbook. And she said, but, but I have a moratorium. I'm not allowed to have any more cookbooks, which is a, her self-inflicted moratorium. I'm like, yeah, but Max is talking about it and it looks really good. So, and, and uh, this is for you. This yeah, is, it's, well, yeah. <laughs> it's like lingerie. It's not really for you. Uh, but no, I, she, she, it's a uh, uh, roughage, a practical guide to vegetables, vegetarian cookbook, vegetable cookbook, best vegetarian cookbooks. Um, so yeah, so it, it looks like, it looks like a good one. So cool. Awesome. Ruffish, oh, and then, and then and then things things that I want to watch that I have not watched yet that we have also talked about is uh, uh, Jojo Rabbit. Yes, 
And I don't usually watch um, stuff, movies on planes. And I was all set to watch it on my flight back, back from Las Vegas. But it was only, it was not available on the um, device entertainment. It was only available on seat back entertainment. And I couldn't figure out how to get the sound. And it also, the seat back things, they start at a certain time. And then you have to start watching them at that time, not when you want. So. Oh, that's, yeah, that, that's stupid. So anyway, so um, I said, no, I'm just going to watch it some other way. So yeah, we're, uh, we're watching, uh, right now we're watching Survivor and American Idol because those are the two things that are uh, very popular in my house. Really? Uh, so, yep. so are, are you, do you like Survivor? I kind of do. Um, okay. So what I like about Survivor is that my kids are very much into it. And so it's become like, all right, we're going to watch one episode of Survivor as a family and we'll get into it. And it's a game. Like, and I, I, I don't know if we've talked about this too much on the podcast or I may have, but what I didn't really get about Survivor way back in the day where it came out, I watched it as entertainment. I didn't watch it as a strategy game right. and listening to Dubai Friday and listening to uh rec diff and, and just about things where people are talking about Survivor. I get, I, I enjoy watching the game of it now and my kids really get that aspect of it. Um, so yeah, so I've been watching Survivor. They, we, we like lots of music and, and things and popular music in, in my house. And so American Idol is also a bit of a game and they, they really like that. So it's, it's our family appointment, not appointment viewing. It's family, family watching, um, post, post dinner, pre bed, uh, before we watch, uh, sad, sad CNN, um, when the kids go to bed about all the things that are happening in the world. Yeah. So we, and I've, I've probably shared this, but I will share it again. Our, our sort of goes down easy, uh, not too challenging, uh, TV is we are rewatching, uh, perfect strangers. Oh my God. Valky and Larry. <laughs> yes. Valky and Larry, which is just, it's just so stupid, but you know, it's, it's my, it's our stupid guilty pleasure. I'm rewatching, um, uh, 30 rock. Uh, that's, that's my, I, I really like that show. And, and so I've, I've, my, my, my real go-to shows that I've, um, that I've rewatched now are, are Parks and Rec and and The Office, um, and and so I was thinking about okay, I've gone through these, um, so what's what's next? And I was like, oh, Thirty Rock is in that same kind of genre. I remember really loving that show, so I'm rewatching that now. So yeah, all right, well there we did the things that we're watching at the end of the episode, which is different than what we usually do. Although we took a while to kind of get to food safety at the beginning, whatever. As I recall, but whatever, it's fine. It's our show. If, it, if you don't like it, uh, find another show. Let's do make yeah. your own show. Go find your own. Go yeah. Go listen to another food safety podcast. <laughs> good luck finding that. Well, no. Yeah. There, there are there are some other ones, but there's yeah there's some good ones out there. Uh, all right. So I think that's a show, Don. I'll show. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye bye.
All right. All right. I said something really funny in as a title, and I meant to write it down, but I got <laughs> distracted, and I can't remember what it was. Okay. Well, I wrote down a bunch. What did you write down? Did you? Is maybe you ca- captured it? Okay. Oh, you want the whole Oops. list? Yeah, I want to hear the whole list. Okay. So much Ben content. <laughs> nope, that wasn't it. You will be a whole ass. That's pretty good. Tell me about foods I can hoard. Oh, that's I'm, good. I'm also a member. Um, <laughs> ensure safe food sources, col- semicolon, thoroughly cooked meat and eggs. <laughs> Close the loop on chirping. Oh. Towels should not be shared in any way. Poopers on the fritz. That was it. It was oh, poopers okay. on the fritz. Okay, great. Yeah. It came so from, that was, yeah. I was like, oh, that's got to be our, our, okay. show, or um, our show title. And, and then Aladdin Sane and Specific Meat Bag. Okay. I also it, like specific meat bag, but it, it could be poopers on the fritz. It's fine. I, just poopers on the fritz is such a great, like, you, it's going to be a struggle to find a, an awesome picture. Yes, uh, for it, it will. But it, it's a hilarious title. Yes. All right. So this is an even one. So this is yours. Yep. I promised to do the, the 205 last night and then I didn't. And I realized, so this is my workflow problem now. Mm. So since I used to do everything on one computer, I always had it with me. I need to record the episode directly into Dropbox, which I didn't do. Um, and I, di- I didn't do it today because I, when we were home, like when I was at home for the last episode, I recorded it into um, like on my laptop that sits at home now, not the laptop that I bring back and forth. Oh, and that is not the, and where it gets saved in default location on the home laptop is not in Dropbox. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's, it's in, um, it, yeah, it's in, it's on the, it's on the computer yeah. somewhere, yeah. It's in the, but not, yeah. but, not so, in, but not in part of the computer that's in Dropbox. Yep. Right. So when I went to edit the episode yesterday, I realized I didn't have the file. And then when I went home, I forgot to do it to like even all I needed to do was transfer it into Dropbox. So I had it. So I, yet again today, I can't edit the episode until I get home, which should be around four, three thirty or four. Okay. So I'll try, I'm going to try and try and get it up tonight. Okay. Sounds good. Um, I'll, I'll, if I have some time, I think I'm going to have time today. So I will get this one all ready to go. Um, so that it, there's, there's no friction when, after yours is up so we can just schedule it for like a week later or whatever. Sounds good. Um, do you want to do it on uh, – uh, oh, so first question, do we – how how many risky or nots do we have in the can? Do we need to schedule another risky or not? Um, we do not uh, – let me I, – I think we're okay. So let me – I, cause I, I got, know it's been a lot, but I wouldn't mind putting them out a couple times a week. Well, they're, going, they're going out three times a week now. Three times. Yeah, I know. Okay. So, so I wouldn't mind like forever doing that. Oh yeah, no, I think I think that I have to because otherwise we're never going to get them done, right? Right. So, yeah. right. So, so they, so the last one, oh, the last one is going to come out next Monday. Um, but, oh. but, 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 I've got another one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine that need to be edited, right? Gotcha. So, so we're set for through March. Are for, you for sure? sure? Like I. I do you want me to help you with the editing no. on this? Okay. No, I, I'll, I'll, I'll keep doing it for now. Okay. Um, well, let me know when I yeah. can uh, help with that um, somehow. Yeah, no, it's okay. I mean, I, 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 I it's, it's, it's fine. Um, I got, I have to kind of, yeah, it's, it's a little, it's a little complicated because you have to do it in um, Libsyn and in um, Squarespace. So, gotcha. and I'm still working out like all the, the, the kinks to my satisfaction. So, but yeah, it's fine. I don't, I don't mind doing it. And as it, we can just keep putting them out three times a week. We've got, yeah, yeah we, so we've got like another nine to put out. And then for future topics, we've got, um, like almost 70. 
Holy shit. So, but some of the, so we need to sort those because some of them are coming from listeners versus ones that I just sort of threw in there. So, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, um, okay. So, so we've got another nine. That's another three weeks of content. Yeah. After Friday or after what, yeah. a week from yes, two days ago. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, we, if, do you want to put something like on the calendar for April? No, so let's, let's just, okay. we, let's just schedule the next food safety talk. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. No, that's fine. No, I, I, yeah, that's, that's, I, my, my calendar is just so I'm just really overwhelmed. I have this stupid problem now with my mail, a mail.app on my Mac. It's not, it's just really bogged down and it's not syncing. And so if I reply to a message, I get it. Oh, I just, I delete something on the Mac and it doesn't delete in the cloud and it doesn't delete on my phone. And it's just, it's just causing me a lot of aggravation. And I, I Ooh. tried deleting the account and then, and then uh, reinstalling the account. But now it's doing like a huge background download of all my messages. And I, it's just, I don't know what to do. So I'm just, have I'm you really used, irritated. have you done the rebuild yet? I've rebuilt it. Yeah. A couple of okay, times. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then I have no, I have no more things to share with you. I have a weird, I got a weird situation where I, I can't send uh, calendar invites to people. Well, I can. The issue isn't sending the calendar invite. The issue is that it sends every time some sync happens between my computer, my Google Calendar, my iOS. It sends an update. So if I send an, uh, a calendar invite to someone, they may get seventy or a hundred email messages of updates over. Oh, yeah. And so I just don't send calendar invites. Yeah. Well, and and uh, our IT people can't figure like it's it, um, both uh, me and my department have. We both have the exact same problem. Weird. Yeah. So um, anyway, so if anybody's listening and knows how to fix that, just let me know. That that involves it. That, well, and I'll give you some criteria. That really involves me changing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't want to do – I'll just get away from calendar invites. But some people are like, can you send me a calendar invite? And now I have a text expander that says like um, – that says why I can't send a calendar invite because I've <laughs> typed it so many times. Yep. Um, OK. So let's schedule this. So what, the 18th of March, how's that look? All right. Oh, that actually is wide open. Wow. Yeah, let's do it. OK. So we – I think, do you have a, yeah. you got, we got a thing. Yeah. So other than that's the only thing I have all that, that whole day. Okay. So after that. Sure. So that goes to 1130. So yeah, I mean, we'll go like 11, 1145. We'll just put 1130 in. Well, so I, I will, I will need to, can we do, can we do, yeah. Can we do later? Can do whatever. I, Cause I need to have a lunch and a dog walk. So, um, can we say one o'clock? Perfect. Yep. We sure can. You know, what's awesome, Don. Hockey season's over. <laughs> it's so awesome. I thought you liked hockey. I do. I love it. I, I absolutely love it. It is um, – also, it's a grind. Yeah, I, I totally get that. It's uh, – so I'm, I'm, I am I'm have not yet missed it because it's the first week of not having it. Um, what's been awesome <laughs> is like – to miss not missing it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to not missing it. Uh, next week or two weeks from now, like we lacrosse starts, but I've, it's five minutes from the house and I don't have to do anything. Um, and, and, but it, it, my, are already our nights have like freed up. Like, like I got home, I made dinner, we did dishes, we sat down and I was like, Oh, I don't feel exhausted. What? It's only seven o'clock. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> cool. All right. 1 PM March 18th. 
Sounds good. And that'll be the preview show to uh, Letterkenny, which is going to happen for me on the 19th and then again on the 22nd. Oh, excellent. Cool. Very good. All right. Very good. All so, right. What, oh, just on that, just as, as like, so I don't, um, I have not yet booked my, my of, flight, but of, my plan of is course, to come of course, in. Of course you haven't. I, I, I know right, this. Right. I know this. Uh, it's fine. So my plan is to come in the morning of the 22nd and then okay. leave the afternoon of the 23rd. Okay. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> I'm not, worried, you, I'm not worried. I, I can't worry about it, Ben, because it would make me nuts. <laughs> yeah, no, you, don't worry. Don't worry. You, you don't have to worry. I got it. I was I mostly the, worried that you, you, you know, that you needed to send me the abstract, but you did. So uh, it's, it's all good. Now, now, the one thing I am worried about is that no one will show up. I don't. Um, that doesn't – you're going to be there. Bill yeah, Hallman's ex exactly. there. And I'll invite my students and Bill Hallman will Perfect. be there. And so I'm, I, I, and I, here's the thing. For some people, I would worry. Like I was when, – when I invited so many years ago when I invited Merlin, um, I was really worried that I wanted to fill the room. Yes. Um, and I just I don't it's like I, I know it's it's you it's fine it's just this is just for us to have a good time and 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 if people if here it's like a podcast Ben I would do it even if nobody listened absolutely I would invite you to Rutgers to give a talk even if nobody showed up well and here's here's the thing if uh since we'll do a little uh post uh, uh post episode uh pump of this mm. uh I'm I'm going to Rutgers uh to give a talk on the 23rd of uh, March it's a Monday and it's in the morning um, before lunch, 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock. So if you want more information, maybe we'll link, to, is it on a website? It's somewhere? on, it's on a public Rutgers, uh, calendar site. Yep. So we'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, come, come hang out with Don and I. Yes. Be, yeah, come, come be, come be cool with us. Uh, all right, cool. That's it. All right. I'll, I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.